The spirit of hatred is ravaging the body of Christ and desires to destroy God's people as I speak. There's a growing hunger in this movement to expose, to gossip, to discredit and to destroy unity among brothers over petty things. I've stared into the eyes of many whose hearts have been murdered by the words of others. Brothers and sisters, we need to start exposing the spirit of hatred in our midst. Have we forgotten that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities that seek to destroy us and the unity amongst the body of Christ? Like vultures, we've been murdering the character of others, feeding on their flesh. We've used our assassination of their person and character as a means to rack up views and comments and pats on the back from the crowds. But I want to submit that loving people is boring. Murdering them is way more exciting for the crowds. Just think about when our Messiah was brought before the crowds. Crucify him. They cried out and they were all as wrong as wrong could be. Here's the thing. The crowd is rarely right. Do not be drawn away with them. Instead, use discernment. Judge by the fruit carefully, for it is rare that we have all the information needed to come to a conclusion as easily as many are coming today. I want to submit to you that James tells us in 4 verse 1, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. See, our passions are at war. We want something. And considering what the flesh wants is self-gain. We want to build something for ourselves. We want to be accepted by people. We want people to accept what we're doing and praise us for it. But James talks about this motive that is so often at the core of all of this. When he speaks about how we covet and we look at others and we we desire and we do not have, he is talking about jealousy. Jealousy leads to the murder of others because we start hating someone else because they have something we don't have. And really, if you think about what that means is, It means that we don't trust God. We don't believe that what we have is enough, is good. We're not content with it. And we're really telling him, why didn't you give me what they have? And then we excuse our true motive of jealousy for truth. We say we're we're doing what we're doing by exposing them for the sake of the truth. But when you murder your brother or your sister for the sake of truth, let me ask you, what truth are you following? Because last time I read 
the truth of God's word. The greatest commandment commands me to love my neighbor as myself. And so if I indeed go rather and hate, and what truth am I following? And you may say, well, Peter, I don't hate. Well, let me tell you, it's not about what you say. It's not about what you, what you proclaim your intentions are. The truth is revealed by our actions. So you can say as much as you want. But if your actions are a pattern of hatred instead of a pattern of love towards that person, then indeed you hate with your heart. In fact, I would state that our love must be abundantly clear for others. There must be no question They, you should be known. Yeshua said they will know you by the love that you have for one another. That's if you're his disciple. That is how you must be known. No question about it. No, no, you can say what you want. What are you known by according to the fruits that you have? He goes on in verse three and he says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You see what your brother and sister has and you ask God for that same thing, but you never receive it because you wanted for the passions of selfish ambition and jealousy that has brought you there. Then you even pray to God, asking him for promotion. But you're really asking to spend that promotion on another God in your life, the God of self, like a drug addict that sells all he has for his addiction. So men have become addicted to themselves and the praises of men and self gain. And so we go to any length needed like that addict and like Judas who sold Yeshua for all that he had. In in fact, think about it. Everything that Judas possessed of value was in the person of Christ. And yet he sold everything he truly had of value, Christ, to the religious leaders. In fact, it was probably a good escape route from ministry with Jesus to a new life of being accepted by the spiritual elders of his day who were corrupted. And so he betrayed him. And in the same way we sell, we betray fellow believers as collateral damage so that we can climb a ladder of hierarchy in this world. What is the greatest lawlessness that mankind can commit? Is it not to break the greatest commandments to love God and to love your neighbor? And so if it is that you're exposing your brother or sister for the sake of truth, then test yourself this way. If your desire was winning them over to the truth of the matter, then you would humbly go to them with fruits of patience, compassion and long suffering. That is the way that is going to win them over. That is how they would incline their ear to hear what edification you have. However, if your desire actually and your intent actually below the surface was self-exaltation and a heart of hatred, 
then you'll sell them out, but you'll have no chance of reaching their hearts because you have shown the fruit. Your fruit is exposed by this decision to not love your brother or your sister. And so it would be good for them to then avoid you truly, for them to not listen to you nor your theology, no matter how good you think your theology is, because if your fruit is rotten, your theology is contaminated as well. Think about Paul, for example, who murdered believers in his past life before coming to Christ, thinking that he was doing it for God. Or what about Cain, who we read about in 1 John 3, 11, and it says that for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We read that the reason Cain murdered is because of the jealousy of what his brother had and what he didn't have. It's not just about taking a knife to someone's throat in the physical. It's about hating them in your heart. And that hatred is going to be exposed. You have to test your heart for that hatred by looking and searching. Lord, is there love in my heart for them? Am I am I going above and beyond to show my love for them, even if the correction is needed, even if I, there's ironing sharpened iron that's needed? Like, is love at the forefront? Genesis 4, 9, we read, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Consider what Cain's excuses are. His hatred for his brother causes him to say, well, is my brother my responsibility? These constant excuses is a symptom of trying to conceal the hatred in the heart for his brother. And so that's why we, when we look at others, we shouldn't just look at their words. And when people look at you, they're not going to just look at your words. They're going to look at your actions. And Cain's actions of hatred was manifest. Look for the fruits of love, of joy, of peace, of forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, of gentleness and self-control. And I'll add one more to that. Compassion. But instead, if there is a bickering, if there is disunity, if there is tempting others with gossip, if there is subtle lies to conceal your path, if there are quarrels around you, fighting all around you, evil speech of others, misrepresentation of others. When this spirit of hatred is in believers, we immediately find ourselves entering friendship with the world while calling ourselves believers and not of this world. Just like those in the first century who were those Pharisees who some of who came against the Messiah and they were the religious men or clothed pretty learned and studied the scholars of the day, but yet they were friends with the world. And that's why James 4 verse 4 tells us, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is amnity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. God is saying, I put my Holy Spirit in believers. Like, have we thought about what that means? He's made us temples and we have so much reverence for the Levitical temple. And if it was here on earth, would we all not have reverence and fear for that holy of holies, that place? And yet we have no such fear as to how we treat fellow temples of the spirit where God has placed his spirit to dwell. And then for one end of our mouth, we say we love God. But on the other hand, we hate our brother by what we do to them. It should not be so. And who will escape judgment over this matter when we all stand before him? Because look, it's easy right now to to fool and deceive yourself into thinking Like Paul thought, I'm doing a service unto the Lord while I destroy my brothers in the in God. But yet we're all going to stand before him and what people think and the affirmation of people and all that is going to mean absolutely nothing. It's just going to be you and him. And all of the blood that you left as a trail behind you that is going to cry out for justice upon your head. And God is not going as a righteous judge. He's not going to ignore the blood that is spilt. 1 John 4.15 Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. See, in this, I want you to see this, that when we confess of who the Messiah is and believe who he is. That is the thing that brings us into unity with one another. The Bible says that in of itself is the cornerstone of our faith, the most fundamental thing of our faith. We can, there's many things to disagree on, but this is the one thing that unites us. And he says that if we confess that he is the son, that God does abide in that person. The theology that God says is the cornerstone is whether they have faith in the Messiah as to who he is as the Messiah. Therefore, that means that they are a temple of God. Not You can't say they have a theology here that I am passionate about and we have a disagreement in it. And therefore, I have now the right to desecrate their temple because they're not really a temple. The Bible qualifies them as a temple if they are a believer in the Messiah as to who he truly is. You're not the qualifier. The Bible is the authority on that. You may ask now, well, PD, didn't Paul tell us that we should judge those inside the church? 1 Corinthians 5.12, for what I have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, perch the evil person from among you. Indeed, that is what he is stating. However, he has specified something specific in the context regarding 
why these people would be judged and according to what standard. He is specifically stating that this is to determine whether someone should be disfellowshipped from a fellowship. We read in the verses just prior to this, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality, greed, and an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, to not even eat with such a one. Paul is laying out very specific conditions for a specific purpose of disfellowshipping someone. He is not talking about judging people based off our own conditions that are separate from the sins that he is listing here. He is not saying that you can judge your brother or sister because they hold some other theology than you do in some area that you may feel passionate about. You don't get to decide the standard of when to expose people. You have to go off the biblical allowment. And this is an allowment that Paul makes regarding certain severe sins. Apart from these sins, one more reason that the scriptures allow us to call out a person is when they are placing others in danger of falling away from the Messiah. If they are destroying the message of the gospel and lying about salvation to draw people away to other gods. And rejoiced, saying, this be our God, O Israel. If people are in that kind of a danger, that commands us to come and be involved and say something so that souls may be prevented from falling away from the Messiah. One example of this is when Paul and Peter have their dispute, because Peter, in that instance where he drew away from the Gentiles, when the circumcision party entered in, he placed these Gentiles in danger of being confused of their own salvation in the Messiah. For the leader of the church, who is Peter at that moment, is now moving away from them because of them being Gentiles because of Jewish oral laws. And so Paul was right to come and call out this issue publicly so that these Gentiles and everyone else can understand, like was written in Acts 10 that, and in Acts 15, that these Gentiles are saved all in the same way as we Jews are, by faith in the Messiah. And so therefore we may not draw away from them or judge their salvation or judge whether they're believers or have the spirit based off our conditions of law keeping, but rather based off their faith. That is why Paul had to address what he did publicly. As Paul stated, his reason for intervening was Galatians 2.14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. We are not allowed to judge our brothers over issues that are secondary, as many try to do in the first century. In the first century, they came in with many requirements of the law, and and the law is good, but they placed these requirements on the heads of others as to how they can be accepted into the body of believers and how they can be saved and how can they how they can receive the spirit. We see now James goes on in verse 11. He speaks, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. 
The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you're a judge of the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You may love God's law. You may cherish God's law. You may state God's law is holy and good. You may immerse yourself in his words. But God is flipping it and he's saying, what you do to your brother, you do to my word. The greatest commandment that his word illustrates to us is to love God and your neighbor. It's not to love God and to love the law as yourself. Yes, his law is holy and righteous and good, and we should love it. But the greatest commandment is not to love God and to love the law as yourself. Because to not love your neighbor as the law commands is the very act of judging the law of God as not being truth, as not being good enough. You disobey the law in your apparent love for the law when you desecrate your neighbor's temple for the sake of the law. He says, I have put my word, I have put my spirit into your brothers and sisters. But if you speak evil of them, you judge not only them, but my words. You judge me as making some mistake of deciding to choose them as a vessel that I desire to dwell in. And then we become someone who we say we do the the law, but we don't. We judge the law. God tells us that he is the one who saves and destroys. You are not the one who saves or destroys. You do not have authority to judge your neighbor in that manner. And if you decide to do so regardless, I want to submit to you that this is the danger and this is the warning I have for you. You will inevitably judge with lacking information. And if you judge with lacking information, you will lay condemnation on your own head. Why? Because God will judge us by the measure we use to judge others. How do people commonly judge others? Think about this. What you see all over is quick judgments of others based off hearsay without calling to the three firsthand witnesses. We judge others without going even to them, which would be the bare minimum to do, and speaking to them face to face to receive their own testimony on a matter. We judge them with inadequate evidence, even if some evidence is presented to us. And we judge as to how the crowds judge, going along with the crowds as they judged the Messiah at his crucifixion. So what makes us different from the judges of that adulterous woman we read about in the scriptures who tossed aside all of these requirements and yet the Messiah came to question their authority and he called out their sin. Now, if they stood before the almighty And if we stand before the Almighty and he judges us based off how we judged others, where will that lead us? If he judges us without calling up any witnesses, if he judges us without even considering our own testimony, if he judges us without asking us 
of our intent, if he judges us, disregarding all evidence of innocence, where will that leave you? Because that's what you're asking for when you judge your neighbors in this manner. Do you understand how serious this suddenly becomes? And do you understand that this is why it is written that the one who hates his brother will have no eternal life in him? It's easy to judge others when you hate them in your heart. We can judge whether what someone says is true or false, and we should. But there's a difference between judging their words compared to judging the person. Titus 3.2 says to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. I would like to take a moment to speak about scholarship and the love of studying God's word. We love his word. We want to grow in knowledge of his word. Our passion for his word is overwhelming, and that is of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Father for what he is doing. However, what we have also witnessed is scholarship absent from love. We start objectifying people's arguments in order to debate them without recognizing that we're speaking of a person. We're speaking to a person, a fellow brother or sister in Christ. I want to quote Dale Patridge, who said, if your pursuit of doctrine and theology is making you more intelligent without making you more loving, compassionate and humble, then your pursuit is not of Christ. It is of pride. I want to submit that we are not supposed to just be people with libraries of knowledge. We should be known for our compassion, patience, self-control, love, and fruits of the Spirit. That is what will set us apart from the scholars of the world and from those who have much knowledge in the world. An atheist can have knowledge, but what makes you different from them as a believer in the Messiah? The Messiah said that we'll be known for our love, not our knowledge. And so take a moment to think, Do others know me by the love I have for others? See, one day when you die and people gather around your grave, are they going to say, oh, he was such a smart man? Or are they going to say he was full of love and compassion? I don't know about you, but I want to be known for love and compassion. He commanded me to love and he gives me a mind to understand, but he gave me a heart of compassion to love. And that's the greatest commandment. 1 John 2, 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Dear scholars and lovers of God's word, this is how you can audit yourself. Ask yourself, what do I possess? Because love is open to correction, eager to learn, and it's the best type of scholarship. The scholarship by love for others, even those who are theologically in disagreement with you over certain matters. But the spirit of hatred, on the other hand, is unable to really understand 
even others. Because as someone with a spirit of hatred is distracted by ulterior motives. Because they hate instead of love, their objective is not to love. Instead, it's to, to find gotcha moments. It's to, to deceive or to misrepresent or to, to try and be dishonest in your presentation of others' arguments. It is to even look at others and their arguments simply for the purpose of finding something to disagree with and expose them publicly for. I want to submit, I have listened to many people, many teachers who, who I have disagreements about. I have even listened to them when preparing for teachings myself. However, I have done so not to find something to expose them on. I have done so listening to see if they have something that I can be edified by. Something that they're saying that I'm like, wow, I never thought about it that way. Even if they're uh, someone who, who, who I don't agree with on most things, I'm still listening with a humble heart open. Like, is there something that I can learn from this person? See, this is what our heart must be. That is scholarship by love. Scholarship by hatred disregards that and is just looking to correct and expose others. And that person never listens to understand. And if you don't listen to understand, all you'll do is misunderstand. You will misunderstand what the person is even saying because you're not attempting to truly glean from them. Yes, you may debate. You may talk about God's word going back and forth. However, when we listen, we must listen for edification. You may learn something from your enemy that you may never learn from anyone else. And that's why you have to incline your ear because is God's not God's spirit not in them? If they are believers, is he not indwelling them too? And is there not perhaps a chance that his spirit may speak something through them? Could it be that God could speak through someone you may not expect him to speak through? I want to submit that this is how God works often. This is how he has chosen to do things. But instead, men have divided and they have created their cliques and their groups to judge others by Instead of coming, drawing near to one another and speaking to one another and understanding one another and inclining that God may speak through that brother or sister who is in Christ, despite your theological disagreements. If I've been speaking and while I've been speaking, the spirit has been moving on your heart. Let me let me say that he's been moving on mine. I have been grieved at what I have seen in the body. I have been grieved at when I think on my past, I I can certainly see the mistakes that I have made, especially in my youth. And when I was zealous for God, like, you know, when I was in my passion, it's so easy to make many of these mistakes in how we treat others. Especially when we are so knowledge driven. But if you feel convicted, God offers a way out. He says in James 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He offers a way out. This is a moment right now where you can decide to turn your life around and repent of your evil speech, 
and the hatred that you, you may not have ever professed, but that you have walked out towards brothers and sisters whom you have wronged, judged, and considered as lesser. I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, that we should never seek exaltation. We should seek more humility. And if someone is to be exalted, God will exalt them. If you desire to be accepted before the Lord, humble yourself before him. Be slow to anger, slow to even consider judging and a loving in action that all would know you by that love. Men's exaltations, that's useless. It's going to mean nothing on the day of judgment. Let him be the one who calls you justified. Don't be the Pharisee. Be like the tax collector who said, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. I come to you, Lord. I ask that you would forgive me, that you would forgive everyone listening right now. When we have hated a brother or sister, when we have lied, when we have misrepresented them, when we have judged them, when we have been unjust, when we have listened to rumors and gossips and evil speech, when we have done it ourselves, Father, when we have gone out to slander and misalign, when we have tried to bring about quarrels and fights, when we have tried to create an atmosphere of disunity, an atmosphere of quarrels, and we have made excuses for it, God, when we have thrown our brothers and sisters under the bus as collateral damage in our stand for truth. Father, when we have come and we have we have come to to judge your law because of how we've judged our brothers, Father, forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would put a new spirit in us, the Holy Spirit, a spirit of love and compassion and patience and peace. The one that you have decided to put in us from heaven. Lord, and help us to see our fellow brothers and sisters as ones in whom the spirit dwells and not just as our punching bags of theology and the ones we hope to make examples of in our hate. But Father, help us to approach one another. I pray that there will be lines of communication opened by this. I pray that people will pick up the phone and talk. I pray that there will be a change in hearts and natures. I pray that the body would finally repent of their this sin that has crept in amongst leaders and laymen alike. That we would put off, put off the, the deceits of Satan that has crept into our midst of the spirit of hatred. Lord, I pray that this exposing of the spirit of hatred would expose it in fellowships and in individuals and that we would put it behind us as we humble ourselves and never make this mistake again to allow Satan into the assembly. Father, I thank you for your goodness, your trustworthiness, and in how you speak to your people. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Please consider sharing this video with your brothers and your sisters so that we can reconcile and make things right, for we will all be standing before our father. And I want you to stand before him with peace in your heart. Thank you for joining me. I'll see you guys in the next one. Shalom.